You're listening to Wild and Holy Radio. Honest conversations, love notes, and strategies to grow a business while building a life grounded in deep integrity. I'm Megan Hale, integrity expert, bringing mindset and energetic wisdom to help you show up braver, go all in, and expand into your fullest expression. Let's do this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Wild and Holy Radio. I'm your host, Megan Hale, a business mentor and leadership coach. And around here, we talk about expanding your impact and increasing your revenue as two potent ways to operate from your deepest integrity. And this week, we are diving into entrepreneurship and marriage with my guest, Anna Osborne, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist based out of Sacramento, who specializes in working with entrepreneurial women and couples to help them reconnect and deepen their intimacy as she believes your primary relationship can be either your greatest tool or greatest barrier to success. I am so excited to be diving into this topic this week as this has really been a huge piece of growth for me personally this past year. I have briefly alluded to my marriage going through a rocky season in 2018 as we went through a deployment, navigating the preliminary stages of a pervasive medical diagnosis for one of our children, having a second child, and becoming acutely aware that the agreements in which we built our marriage drastically needed to shift. What were originally created from this place of love had become toxic that were really preventing us from truly thriving, both as individuals and together. So this past year has really been about redefining our agreements and updating our expectations, needs, communication, and boundaries that better support us as a couple, but also make space for us to reconnect to our souls on an individual level. I don't know about you, but if you are in the season of raising small babies and growing a business, it can feel like this season is incredibly busy and full, which means that we are needing more from each other than ever before, right? And for me, this has led to some vulnerable conversations around what we need, how we need it, and how we need the other person to step up so we consistently get our needs met. I can say too that going through a growth phase of business while also going through a growth phase of marriage is not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of presence, hard conversations, and also I think a willingness to embrace the suck for a little while until you come out on the other side. I will never forget having a conversation with my husband about a year ago in which I shared that I was so angry that we were going through this hard time after we had just gone through a hard time with the deployment. And I was angry that it was was likely going to be a while before any of this felt easier as I knew that we needed to rebuild our marriage from the ground up. And I also knew that if we could show up and stay committed to who we wanted to be, we would come out the other side stronger than we had ever been before. (laughs) So back then, which literally was about a year ago, I anticipated that this would take us about six months to do, but nope, we are still very much in the rebuilding phase of our marriage a whole year later and likely have at least six more months to go before we feel like we've arrived to a new normal with new agreements where there's more space for both of us to thrive in this next season of life, right? So I wanted to bring Anna on to talk about entrepreneurship and marriage because one, both of these things are so complex and challenging. And two, I often see business success come at the detriment of successful marriages. Entrepreneurship asks a lot of you as the CEO, but it can also ask a lot of our partnerships. And I know from a personal level how much stress it puts on every area of your life when marital issues and rough patches pop up. 
It can literally shift the foundation in which you walk and can make you re-examine almost everything. So today, Anna is going to be giving us some tips and tools for maintaining intimacy and how to reconnect when we're not really feeling the love. She's offering an amazing seven-day challenge for couples to reconnect intentionally, which you can find down in the show notes. Definitely go and check that out. Some of my favorite parts of this conversation are when she distinguished between being busy and being productive. This is so huge, not only on a marriage level, but an entrepreneurship one. How we can leverage our entrepreneurial strengths for relationship success, why it's so important to celebrate your wins, and how we all go through seasons of marriage just like we go through seasons of business growth. So grab your coffee and tea, friends, and let's dive in. Welcome back to Wild and Holy Radio, everyone. I have a special treat for you today as we are joined with Anna Osborne, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. As we dive into entrepreneurship and relationships, this is going to be an awesome conversation. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful. Thank you, Megan. I'm excited to be here. Oh, me too. Why don't you start by telling people a little bit more about your area of expertise? Yes, absolutely. Like you said, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist is I guess my official title, but really I am a relationship coach. I do uh, couples counseling and individual counseling, but all of it is focused on the relationship. So that's my primary area of expertise. And really I work primarily with entrepreneurs. So whether or not that is a couple that is launching a business together, that's one partner that is an entrepreneur or business owner, and they're really wanting to navigate the ins and outs and really the complexities that come with uh, running a business, growing a business, and also so nurturing a relationship. So that is the work that I do throughout the day. I love it so much. And I would imagine that couples who are working together, it's a little bit more dynamic than couples who like where there's one entrepreneur and one non-entrepreneur. So I'm sure you have lots of wealth of wisdom to add to that conversation for sure. My first question for you is, you know, why, why entrepreneurs? Like, why do you find that this is the area that you love to focus on? Well, I love a challenge. I mean, that's one thing that my, my middle child personality always <laughs> loves, right? You know, is a challenge. And I also connect with things that are real in my life. I think that there is a, a stereotype, whether or not it's as real as it was, but that therapists just kind of sit there with a blank slate and that they, they don't have a reaction. They're just there to absorb. Mm -hmm. And I am an active participant in my own life. And that's the same way I show up in, in the work that I do with my clients. And mm -hmm. so because I am, you know, a business owner of just shy of 10 years. I yes. am a wife of 11 years mm -hmm. and I'm a mama to seven-year-old twins that mm -hmm. all of that is just my day-to-day -day life. And so it's a natural way that I find that, that energy, but also that overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I see the work that my husband and I put into nurturing our relationship as I am, you know, kind of looking at all the, the ideas and that kind of creativity. Mm -hmm. And I just know that any words that I can help or, or coach or inspire with my couples to be able to allow them to have that breath around nurturing their relationship and also breathing life into their business is just a huge passion of mine. I love it so much. Now, one of the things that I've noticed being an entrepreneur for five years now, so you, you have been in this game longer than I have, lady. So I am curious, do you notice that there are like 
seasons of entrepreneurship, just like there are seasons of relationships. Like (laughs) for instance, I remember like when I first started my business, I was like infatuated with this concept of being an entrepreneur, had all this Mm -hmm. freedom and all this stuff. And then kind of moved into the honeymoon phase. And then I moved into like the rebellious adolescent phase where I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to break all these rules. I'm not living my truth, blah, blah, blah. And like you have these seasons, right? In entrepreneurship, just like you do in marriage. Yes, I 100% agree. And what is the, the season I'm finding myself in now, which it's taken a, you know, a lot of work to realize that, is that I'm in, in scaling or maintenance mode. Because mm. at the beginning, you, you're right, we're in that, we're, we're grinding it out, we're so inspired and so passionate, and, and we've got big ideas and, and all this energy, but business growth mode is not sustainable. And so the season that I find myself in is really what does scaling my business look like now. And thankfully, you know, I work with coaches because I believe in, in, you know, just like I don't trust a therapist that doesn't go to therapy, right? I don't trust a business coach that doesn't do their coaching is realizing I'm now in a different season right now. And the, that being able to have that awareness of it actually creates more, rechargeable energy versus feeling like, well, we're always going to be in the same season. And so what's wrong with us when we're not inspired or what's wrong with us when we're exhausted. And it's the same that's true in our relationships, that there is seasons to all of it. And I think there's such power in being able to recognize the season we're in, be aware of it and really lean into it versus try and resist it. I love this so much. And you bring up a a phrase that I you know, when I was doing a lot of relationship work in my life coaching business, one of the things that I would talk about is this concept of marriage maintenance. And mm-hmm. it's like just daily attending to our partner and our relationship health and well-being, just like we do anything else like that we want to see grow and thrive, right? And one of the things that I was writing down as you were talking about being in the scaling and maintenance phase of business growth is really looking at, um, you know, to me, scaling is looking at efficiency. Mm-hmm. and how you can leverage your time and your gifts in order to create a bigger impact. And I think in regards to marriage, this is something that we can actually find some parallel in of like how as life gets busier, like when you're running a business, when you have young children, especially like you do and I do, I think this concept of like, how can we leverage the time that we have together to make the biggest impact is a really powerful question to ask between you and your partner. Is that Mm -hmm. something that you, um, like, what are some of the tools that you point your clients to, to help them find more space or time in their, in their busy lives to connect? Well, I think one of the really important things is differentiating between busy and productive. And that mm. is more of a, right, right? That that's so two different things. And that's really where we look at what, you know, our professional life is, are we busy or are we productive? And we can have almost this, this similar question with our partner, which is this, the quality of the time together versus the quantity of time we have together. And I feel like one of those terms is very applicable in relationship and the other is business, but they're really two sides of the same coin. And so we can have a lot of busyness, a lot of kinetic energy in our relationship, but not a lot of sitting down and having a conversation by looking each other in the eyes and being undistracted. And Mm -hmm. so oftentimes we can be so busy in our relationship, but we're not productive in terms of anything's moving forward, anything's deepening, anything's reconnecting, any of those things that we need for sustainability and for overall wellness of the relationship. And so that's really where I direct my clients to is not that they need to, again, you got to be aware of the season of life you're in. 
and, and mm-hmm. set realistic expectations and also being able to have conversations about how are we carving time away for just the two of us. And there's so many different categories we can slice that into because if it's just one person, like myself in our relation, my marriage, I am the business owner and my husband mm-hmm. works for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so slowing down and updating him on what's going on in the business is meaningful for him. Like he wants to know what's going on. Um, I got, I was able to interview uh, in real simple, like the designer magazine. Mm-hmm. I got to, I was featured in an article last week and it had, I had totally forgotten to share this big success with him. Like how cool oh. <laughs> that one of the writers wrote, reached out to me and I got to contribute to an article she's doing. And it, it was like a week from when I got invited to when I did it. And yes. I told him that night and he was like, Oh my goodness. Like that's a really big win. And you told me the evening after it already happened. Like I didn't get to cheer you on the morning of like, Aww. and so there was a part of him that felt kind of left out. Yeah. And so it's not just slowing down to say, Hey, let's talk about us. It's also saying, let's talk about these other things that are important and big in our life and that they need words and they need time to be able to, to surround them and encourage them. I love that so much. You know, one of the things that I think entrepreneurship is especially good at is <laughs> helping you kind of really amp up your speed of personal growth and development because you are being asked to grow in just monumental ways in your own leadership and your own mindset and your own consistency, your boundaries around time, your energy. Like there's so many things that go into being a strong entrepreneur. And one of the things that I would like to maybe get your, your take on is how do you think those tools really help support healthy relationships growth. Because I think one of the things that comes up for me a lot in my own marriage is really realizing like I do so much output time in my business to make sure that I'm also keeping some time for my relationship too, like finding that balance for myself. Yeah. And I think that, you know, excuse me, one of the, the majority, I will not say all, even though my heart believes it's all, that entrepreneur, right? I've got to qualify here. I'm not going to be absolutes. But I would imagine your listeners, my listeners, right, is that they're overachievers. They have this overachieving heart. And that's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing because an overachiever's heart, it looks at obstacles as things to strategize around versus elements to stop them. An overachiever's heart has this creative brilliance that comes with it. Mm-hmm. It's got all these assets. And, and, and an overachiever also has really amazing leadership skills, regardless of if they're an introvert or an extrovert, they've got Mm -hmm. that ability to lead. And that's an amazing tool that we can bring into a relationship. Yeah. But we also have to recognize that all of our virtues are also our vices. And so if we are CEO of our business, that doesn't mean that we're CEO of our marriage. Mm Mm-hmm right? That that is a joint partnership and Mm -hmm. that there is that need for collaboration, that need for, you know, some of the terms that that I really try to incorporate into my life is um, service leadership, right? Mm -hmm. That you're leading by serving or uh, what is Simon Sinek's book, The um, Leaders Eat Last? Yeah. Mm -hmm. These these fundamentals that I feel like they're so applicable in our relationships. If that we come in there as this, you know, here I am leading, we lose so much insight and so much wisdom, just like we need that, that, that difference of perspective in our business. We need the asset of partner in our relationship. And Mm -hmm. I think that there is a way that we've got to transition from who we are in our entrepreneurial journey 
and also transition into who we are as the relationship. And there's going to be so many similarities, but there's also going to be that breath or that separation between I make the decisions versus we make the decisions. And that's a very, very powerful distinction to let those assets, allow for those assets to be beneficial versus something that becomes a power struggle or crippling in the relationship. For sure. You know, one of the things that I've noticed as my business has grown is that it's really easy for me to carry my work home, like mentally, mm-hmm. not like I'm care- I work from home. So it's just kind of <laughs> travels upstairs with me really. But one of the things that I have found that's been really important for my relationship well-being is to set a timer for when I need to kind of be mentally wrapping up my to-dos for the day. So then when I do walk upstairs, it's like I can be more present and actually turn that part of me, not I'm totally off, but I can step into this different role of my life. And I think that, you know, a lot of my listeners, they work from home. So that, that geographical boundary isn't necessarily there for all of us. Yes. So are there tools that you offer your clients to help them actually make that transition? Yes. And it's actually something that I heard from Brenda Bouchard mm-hmm. is this idea of, because we, we've eliminated transitions. Like we, there isn't a lunch break. We eat while we're working. Like there isn't a, you know, we're not driving home and decompressing our day. We're listening to a podcast. Like there Mm -hmm. isn't any, we look at when something ends on our calendar and the other thing butts up right against it. Mm -hmm. And there really is very few transitions we have throughout the fluidity of our personal professional. I just a little side note. I'm, I don't, I, I don't know. I personally don't really believe that there is a differentiation between our personal and professional, right? We can have boundaries there and that's really important, but it's really hard to say, well, this is just my personal life and my professional hat, you know, my professional lens never comes in there and vice versa. Like we are too fluid as humans to say, this is my work. This is my life. Right. So I think that that piece is really important. And because of that, one of the things he talks about is actually creating um, an affirmation or some sort of physical reminder of when we transition from one thing to the other. Mm-hmm. And so what, what he does allegedly, what he said is that when he walks from geographically from one room to the other, mm-hmm. <laughs> he uh, taps the top of the door frame. And that tapping triggers him to say something to himself and his is to take a breath, but to say something or to take a breath to remind him that he is leaving email mode and going to fill up his water. Like even things that sound as trivial as that, the more we can train our brain to take that breath, to take that separation, it is so beneficial to so many areas of our lives. And so that's really what I work with with clients is what is your affirmation? What is the way that you can create a physical reminder um, to be able to transition? I have uh, a dear friend and when she's feeling herself become, you know, whether it's anxious or overwhelmed or, or just kind of energy around her, toxic, negative people, whatever it is, she puts her hand over her heart. Mm-hmm. And it's this reminder for her to take a breath and to, to kind of guard herself a little bit that, that there's negativity coming in, there's, whether it's anxiety or external, and it's a way for her to ground. And I think any of those practices that we can create individually is so, so powerful, but we can do it as couples also. We can have yes. that way that we, um, you know, our ritual of saying goodbye and our ritual of reconnecting, that mm-hmm. those are ways that, you know, 
as my husband comes home from work and the kids are all excited, you know, he is very intentional about coming and looking in the eye and saying hi, um, even if they're kind of clobbering for his attention. And it's something that means so much to me of this, this is the way that we reconnect. And it doesn't take hours. It's a quick moment, but it's this, all right, I'm here. We're doing this. Let's, let's dive in. And so anything they can do individually or collectively with that mindset is so, so powerful. I love that so much. And I've noticed like even just being in this new space of like really forming new rituals for myself, like one of the things that I started doing, which it sounds so small, but at the end of my workday, I will literally put my computer on sleep mode. And for some reason, like seeing the blank screen as I get up from my desk and saying, we're done for the day. Yeah. (laughs) Like it just helps me with having a visual before I walk upstairs and like, you know, go into family mode for the night. So I love that so much. I want to circle back to something that you shared that I just, I just loved about you celebrating with your husband. Mm -hmm. I love that you do that. (laughs) And I think oftentimes it's easy for us high achievers to maybe minimize the things that are going well in our lives. And especially because we just tend to like conquer one thing and then move on to the next. And like, we never really take that moment to really celebrate like, oh my gosh, like, look what you did or look, look at this great thing that happened. And so I would like to kind of pick your brain a little bit about what are some ways we can start building in that celebration with our partners so they feel more invested in, in the business growth that we're creating. And also the flip side of that is how can we be more intentional with asking for the support that we need instead of just kind of muscling up and trying to to carry a lot on our own? Yes, I think those are two great, great questions. And the first one of how do we get into that ritual of celebrating our wins? Yes. Really, honestly, to begin with, we have to identify where we are succeeding because there's so much as, as, as entrepreneurs, again, as that overachiever, the downside of the overachiever's heart is that, that, that perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about, you know, kind of seeing your computer on sleep mode and saying, you know, I'm done for today. There's this meme that I love. And it says um, something to the effect of uh, I've done enough for today. And right. Like, like it's so powerful (laughs) of just being able to say like enough, enough. Right. Because we're never going to get to the point of anybody's to-do list where we're like, all right, cool. The list is done. But if we can tolerate that discomfort with saying I've done enough today, there is a way that our heart lightens and you can step away from that computer. And so that, that we also have to identify our wins in order to be able to share them with partner. Now this real simple article, if we use that example, uh, they, they reached out and I did something about two years ago, right in the article or in the magazine. And she reached out again, which was awesome and asked me to collaborate again. Well, that's, there's a lot of wins there, right? The fact that she remembered me from two years ago. I mean, all these sorts of things. And I just kind of downplayed it as, Oh, it's, it's something I've already done before, which is so hard. And I guess, you know, part of me, there's, there's some, you know, embarrassment to admit that because it is a, it is a win being able to ask, being asked for um, input. And so I think that as an entrepreneur, we have to identify these wins and be really encouraging of ourselves because we can't expect anybody else to cheer for us if we're not cheering for ourselves. Oh, that's so, so key. And you know, one of the things that I, I think back to like on the earlier stages of like my career, like this was before I even opened up this business. This is just when I was like doing some speaking um, for other mental health professionals. And I remember being so excited about just the experience of walking off that stage of having people come up to me afterwards and saying, you know, 
it, that was just so powerful. Like, I'm so glad that I was here today. Like your message really resonated with me. And like, that was like the best gift to receive and calling my husband afterwards. I'm like, you won't believe what happened today. And, you know, t- telling him and it was kind of like Matt with that's great, babe. And I'm right. like, <clears throat> No, so I need more like fireworks. I need more, like, <laughs> right. like, this is how I want to be celebrated, right? And I think oftentimes we can kind of shy away from really asking for exactly what we want or what we need in those moments too. Definitely, because it's so vulnerable to say, this is what I need, because our little protective psyche says, well, it's easier not to ask than to ask and not have it happen. Oh. And so, right? That, that, is, that is true in so many areas of our life, but it's ultra, ultra true in our relationship because our, our need, cradle to grave, is connection, right? To be mm-hmm. seen, to be heard. So I think that oftentimes we will talk ourselves out of it or we'll use, like you could use that example as evidence of why you shouldn't sell, tell him something to celebrate again, right? right. Like it, you could, you could say, you know what? I tried it once. You kind of fumbled the hand off. So therefore, I, I, I'm not going to ask again because I know that I won't get what I need. Like yeah. we go into these absolutes and there is truth in people's experiences. I'm not denying because I've experienced it too, where you've asked for something and it's been ignored or forgotten or I mean, there's, there's a humanness that that happens. And yet in order for us to create connection and to create that thriving support system, that home base, we do have to give opportunities and we have to give clarity. And yeah. one of the best ways we can do that is, you know, for example, kind of rewinding this, this call to your husband mm-hmm. is I am so proud of myself and I need you to cheer and scream. So get ready. I'm going to tell you. Yes. And so partners <laughs> like, game on, right? And, and I, I have not seen maybe a very, very small percentage of my practice. I've been doing therapy for almost 15 years now mm-hmm. is that God bless the people that trusted me when I was like a 25 year old therapist. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, if you guys are listening, like I am so just humbled by your confidence in me. Um, but that we, you know, if there's a small percentage, but the majority of partners that when they get a clear ask from, from, from partner, they're so excited to meet it because it's clear. They know what's being expected of them. It's when it's cryptic or muddy. It's the, you don't have to, unless you want to, but I was hoping if maybe you could, and partner's like, I don't even know what it is you're asking. So the gross majority of people are so excited to meet a clear need when they receive it, that, yes. that, that it's just, it's so much more likely. And, and we can always repair if it got missed, right? But we lead in with clarity around what we're needing in that moment. Yeah, for sure. I love that so much. So to come back to the other side of that conversation, yes. of like asking for that support of what you need as you're going through big moments of growth or going through a struggle in your business. You know, one of the things that I often hear from my clients is that because their partner isn't an entrepreneur, they don't really understand all the ins and outs of everything that's going on. And so it's kind of like, there's a story that pops up of like, well, it's going to take me too long to explain this anyway. <laughs> so- right. I won't even like bother doing it. So what are some ways that we can like bridge the gap between like entrepreneurial life, non-entrepreneurial life, so we can bring our partner on board to be part of our support system? Definitely. So I'm going to say this with so much love for, so for your listeners that don't know me, this is said with love for my listeners. They're going to listen to this. They're going to be like, all right, I I know this is said with love. (laughs) Is that 
my my husband did not experience childbirth. He did not birth two babies naturally, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. he did not do that. And yet he has a great deal of respect for the warriorness in me that came out to birth my two six pound babies, right? Yes. So I can sit there and go, well, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He can't. Like, that's not an experience that he can have. But saying that he can't be a supporter and an encourager and, and all those sorts of things removes him from being involved involved in the ways that he can. And so there is ways that you are right. We subscribe to the story and we talk ourselves out or we say they'll never understand. It takes too much time. And that is us creating a narrative that creates distance and we are in control of that. And that is it's truth, right? That we are in control of our self-limiting beliefs. Now, that doesn't mean that we haven't experienced very real oppressions and really real things that have limited us. That's not what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I'm talking about how we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's what we have control over. And so if we are saying, you know, it takes too long or a partner will never understand, then what happens? Our brain does not like to be wrong. So it looks for examples of evidence that supports our statement, regardless if it's false or not. And we go, see, I knew it. Our yeah. psyche, you know, and again, this isn't just me as a human, not liking to be wrong. Cause I don't like, like right. <laughs> I'm, I'm growing in that area. I'm growing, always growing, but in general, we don't like to be wrong. And our brain doesn't like to be wrong when it's come up with a conclusion. So oh, yes. I would challenge again, in this very, very loving way of what are the conclusions you're coming up with? Yes. And if it is an absolute, that should be a red flag to ourselves. I know this for myself, is that when I am in absolutes, I, I am not speaking truth. I'm speaking my fears. I'm speaking my insecurities. I'm speaking my self-limiting beliefs because it yes. is very rare to find an absolute that is true besides the fact that peanut M&Ms are better than like, I mean, like, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't really exist in nature that it's always this way all the time. Always. I, um, my kids are in second grade now, but when they were in first, I'd walk them into the multi and then, you know, off they go for the day. And we were walking one morning and my son said to me, uh, and he was still six. Like they were in seven at this time. He goes, mom, I feel like you walking us into school is treating us like babies and no other parent ever walks their kid in. You're all, you're the only one that ever does it. Mm. And I took a breath, right? And I kind of leaned down to him and I said, buddy, if you want to talk to me about us finding, you know, you walking in the gate yourself or, or something else, I'm happy to talk about that. But you need to know that when you talk to me in absolutes, always, never, every time, everyone, I stop listening because you, it sounds like you're not credible. Mm-hmm. And, he kinda, and I don't know how much you got from this at six years old, but he <laughs> looked at me like, oh crap. You know, and, and so I looked around and of course I see like a dozen other parents and I, and I said, see all those parents right there, mm-hmm. those are all parents that you're saying never, all, you know, all this stuff. And he was like, all right, you know, and so the, the same is yep. true for us that when we're in absolutes, we have no credibility with ourselves and we need to check ourselves on that in terms yeah. of saying, you know, this is how it's always going to happen. I know it. I know it. I know it. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I'm always mindful of, and this is like one of the rules that my husband and I put into place like early on in our marriage after reading one of John Gottman's books mm-hmm. is to really watch the black and white talking like the yes. is never everyone, no one, you know, all of those things, because it just, it puts somebody into a corner where it, you're more or less deciding who somebody always is or is not. And when that's never the case, like, 
I don't right, right. how many times like your husband has never taken out the trash. There's probably been at least one time where he has. And so that <laughs> just refutes that evidence right there. But I Definitely. think that it creates so much more space for, for growth and for possibility. And also just looking at things from a more a balanced perspective when you use terms like sometimes, you know, instead of always or never. Right, so right. I, and I love that. It allows us to be curious too, that when we move out of the absolute, we're not, we're not only more accurate most of the time, mm -hmm. we also are more curious about what's going on with partner. So if our idea is that partner never supports me with my business, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we then realize we're an absolute. So we slow down and we start moving into curiosity, which is, well, they're not often supportive. And I'm realizing that, you know, when I talk to them, I tend to tell them a lot of my fears or a lot of my doubts and they get pretty anxious. And so maybe it's not that they're not supportive. It's that they're fearful because we're not celebrating the wins with them. We're just telling about all the disasters, which PS is completely part of entrepreneurship. Right. Um, and so maybe there's, if we're curious, we can better understand and then better ask partner to get some clarity around that assumption versus just staying there with it. Um, I think that that piece is, is really important. Um, but one other piece I want to share on this also is that maybe we want to be an absolute. Like there are times where I want to stomp my feet and bang my spoon and I just, I, that's what I want, right? Like I am, I am self-aware enough that there are times that's what I want. But if I tell my husband, I am in a cranky mood, it feels like everybody's against me and I just need you to sit here and, and tell me that I am right and everybody's just a bunch of jerks. Can you do it? And, and he, and just give me 10 minutes. And I promise after that, I'll turn the page. And he's like, go for it. Right. And so I'm not mm -hmm. attacking him, but I can just be in that place of, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, you know, Alexander's horrible, no good, bad day, whatever yeah. it is. And he can do it because I've asked what I've needed. And, and so really when we are trying to create a, a thriving support system at home, it's being able to know what we need and then ask for it in a I way versus a you. Meaning if I say to him, you know, I, I need you just to sit there and listen and tell me I'm right and don't rebut or take anybody else's side, you know, can you do it? Yeah, he can do that. But if I say, look, I'm in a cranky mood and usually when I do that, you defend everybody else and you tell me that's not that big of a deal and blah, blah, blah he's automatically going to get defensive because I'm, I'm shoving kind of these accusations towards him. And so we can ask for what we want, but we've got to do it in a way where it's easier to be heard. And that's really using I statements. This, okay. This is so good. And I love, I love the examples that you just gave because like, this is really about taking radical responsibility for clarity, first of all, right. but also taking radical responsibility for the energy you bring into the room. Yes. And I think that we have such an opportunity here to, to do this in a way where we're really like holding our own versus trying to push stuff onto our partner, which I think most of the time, like our partnerships tend to be the safest space for us to kind of act out. <laughs> so, yes. For better, for worse. Yes, right? And so our partners can sometimes be on like that receiving end of like getting all this blame when we've had a, a rough work day, when we can just simply use an I statement, to ask for what we need instead. Like you just gave a perfect example of using an I statement versus blaming, shooting, viewing, you know, all of those things that we do that has a completely different impact. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, I'm not going to be so naive to say that this always works, right? right. There are mm -hmm. partnerships that are in a, a great deal 
of more stress where this isn't possible, where there is a lot of, of work that needs to be done to get to this place. And so I want to honor that that is real for people listening and also mm-hmm. recognizing that although our our hope is that home base can, can provide this, right? That that is our safe haven. It is true for, unfortunately, many folks that that's not their truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think oftentimes that because fear is so active in that entrepreneurial journey is we can hear the fact that we can see partner being unsupportive and we can start doubting ourselves or we can go to them and, and be clear and ask for support and they, they dismiss it or they disregard it. And that rejection is so visceral, especially when it's happening within our intimate partnership. And I want to just honor that although partnership is, is, is the place that we want to find it, if it's not there, it doesn't mean we can't build these adjunct support systems that allow for us to ask for what we need and have that need met. And that's why I love, I love your podcast. I'm a listener of it. That's why I love just the community that you speak to, because mm-hmm. that is a community that, you know, hopefully their partnerships are supportive, or maybe they're not in a partnership, but they've got a, a, a dear friend or a family member that is their person. But even if they're not, they can get this adjunct support through other business owners because it is different doesn't have a value. Meaning because my husband understands this piece, but he doesn't understand that, then what he understands is less important. And what I need him to understand is important, more important. Like we put, right. We put the value on different that the difference is different. Like he can understand this piece and he's compassionate and encouraging of this piece. And the other pieces that he doesn't necessarily get, I'm not going to beat him up for. I'm going to then seek other people within my tribe of women, within my, you know, my close group to say, Hey, this is where I need support. And having that fluidity, obviously still respecting the boundaries of our partnership. Um, but that fluidity is also allowing for not this one size fits all, approach or, or way to approach it. I love this so much. And I think, you know, speaking as a military spouse who moves quite a bit with her husband, it's, you know, earlier on in some of our earlier moves, I realized that I was putting a lot of pressure on my spouse to be a lot of different things for me that he really like one, it was unfair to ask all of that for him to be like that primary Point of support, but two, that no one person can provide everything that you need. And to put that on them is not only going to set you up to be disappointed, but it's going to create an expectation that they can not possibly reach. And so I love that you're talking about this adjunct concept of support. And it kind of brings to mind like this conversation that I've had with clients in the past around the difference between having needs and being needy. Mm, And that for me, it's, you know, the difference between having a need and being needy is a need is something that we are willing to create for ourselves and other avenues if we need to. Neediness is when we are not willing to show up for ourselves to meet that need and we're depending on somebody else to do that for us. And I think when we can create this support system where our spouse really gets to thrive and like be who they are and bring their gifts to the table while also understanding that every single person has limitations <laughs> and that yeah. we might have to fill those gaps. That's part of you ensuring that your needs are getting met. And that's not to say that there's not going to be disappointment that your partner might not be well-versed in meeting this need that you would really love for them to. Um, They could maybe do some work around that. But in the meantime, I think that there's also an option for you to help fill that gap in other ways besides just being focused on how your partner is failing. 
Right. I, I completely agree because that's the, uh, gosh, gosh, was it, um, Stephen Covey and his seven principles of highly effective people. I think yeah. I'm merging Gottman's seven <laughs> principles with, uh, Stephen Covey's seven yeah. habits, but you get the, <laughs> it's, it's, it's there somewhere. Right. But that idea of, you know, kind of, are we in, are we focusing on our circle of concern or our circle of influence? Mm -hmm. And when all of our focus is on partner and their response and their choices and how they're showing up or not showing up, right? Mm -hmm. We are looking at all the things that we can't control mm -hmm. and that can, that can overwhelm us, that disempowers us, that, that allows us to have, you know, these amplifications of self-limiting beliefs. Whereas if we're looking at our circle of influence, right, mm -hmm. what can we do personally within our choices, right? What is our personal accountability? What are the environmental things that we can control to create that community of support? Um, because I'm with you, right? Is that it, it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village to have a business thrive. It takes a, a village to help a relationship thrive. And yeah, if absolutely. all of that is placed on one person, not only, like you said, it's unrealistic, it's so overwhelming that we're setting each other up to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think the thing that I would like to dive into before we wrap up for today is really maintaining intimacy when people are super busy, like life is very full. I know that, you know, intimacy is one of the things that couples would come to me the most for help with of like, how do we reconnect? Like, how do we even go about this? Cause sometimes like the distance can just be so great. It's like people don't even really know where to start. So I would love maybe just to add some, some steps or some tools for people to start moving closer together and prioritizing that time. Definitely. So there's two big things when I'm working with folks, especially around intimacy is being able to deconstruct what that means for them. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes you'll have one partner use that word and they're talking about emotional connection mm -hmm. and you've got one partner using the word and they're talking about physical affection, contact, you know, sex, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so really making sure that they have a collaborative definition of what that means so that it's something that they're working towards, but that they both have clear uh, clarity around what what that word means so that they're not defining them differently and then feeling really really hopeless or you know yeah, they can't get traction so, <clears throat> so important so that's one thing is is how do you define it the other is being able to recognize that that engagement connection intimacy what you know however it's it, the word that's used it's a spectrum and so when you have couples that have um it's been a long time since they've really connected that there is oftentimes people will talk about an awkwardness, a clumsiness. Mm -hmm. What do we talk about? How do we sit close <laughs> together? Like, like, it's like, you're like a teenager and you're like, right. oh my gosh, you know, like this boy looked at me, like it's very awkward and uncomfortable. Right. And so if we look at it as a spectrum of the most passive thing, and I'm totally open for, for people's feedback on this, but in my mind, the most passive thing that we can do together is sitting on separate ends of the couch, the TV's on, we both have our phones on out and we're scrolling, mm -hmm. right? Like that we're, we're there, we're breathing the same air, the same show is on, but it could not be more disengaged in terms of connection, right? And then we've got all the way up the spectrum, which is obviously physical intimacy, right? If we're talking about sex and those sorts of things, but in terms of emotional intimacy, all the way up there is usually some sort of doing something together that's new that requires both of you to work together to accomplish it. 
Mm. And that doesn't mean, you know, climbing Mount Everest together. That can also be sitting down together and answering or asking questions about each other, about things that you didn't know, but you need the other one's encouragement there to like nod you along and and lean in and let you know that they're listening. So that is our, that is our spectrum of engagement. And so what I tell people is it is okay to just start inching up as you go on that spectrum. And, and we're going to dip our toe in the water. We're going to kind of, you know, discuss how it went or, or recognize that it's going to come with awkwardness or uncomfortableness. And then we're going to start just, you know, challenging ourselves and celebrating the successes and having a good laugh over the failures. Like yeah. that really is so huge there. Um, and then the third thing is it's got to be, I, I like the idea of planned spontaneity, which mm-hmm. I realize that the two words contradict each other. But if you think about gosh, I mean, I used to watch soap operas back in the day. And, um, you know, you look at intimacy in a soap opera and it's like the <laughs> desk is being, all the stuff's being thrown off and nothing's breaking and it's passionate. And it's like, you know, no kids are crying. There's no, you know, there's no email box dinging at you. Like it's like full of spontaneity. Yes. And so we then think, gosh, if my, if my intimacy doesn't look like that, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. And the truth is for the majority of us, there needs to be planned spontaneity. And what I mean by that, it is time that is carved out in the calendar, that, that, that is time for the two of you to spend time together. And then a couple of cool things happen. One is that anticipation, right? That, that yeah. longing, that leaning in of like, oh, that time's coming. Oh, that time's coming. That actually creates a lot of positive hormonal response in our body. But the other thing is, is that when we've got that time carved out, the two of you get to decide how you're going to spend it. So that's the spontaneous part, but it's set aside because it's sacred to the health of your relationship. And so the more that people can embrace this idea of planned spontaneity and really knowing what that means, the more they're going to have that consistency of connection in their relationship. And the more we don't have to worry about the other person going away or, or being busy because we know we're going to come back to this date on the calendar and it's there with consistency that we can really, um, really start to anticipate in really cool ways. I love that so much. You know, me and my husband, we went through a pretty rough time in our marriage about five years ago, six years ago now. And I remember really having to find this balance between spending our time when we were together, like having those hard productive conversations that were going to move the, the marriage forward, while also making sure that we weren't just spending all our time talking everything to death. Like there has to be this, these fun moments too of like connection and like building friendship and all of those things. And so I think one of the challenges when you're going through a season of growth in your marriage and you're both incredibly busy people is that one, your time might be limited to actually connect and be with each other, like physically in the same place, but to also make sure you're creating balance in the time that you do have. Um, because I think that that's just so important for remembering like who, who you are and getting to know each other again, while also having these big conversations that need to be had, that's going to move the relationship forward. Definitely. I could not agree with you more. And I think that, you know, there are so, if, if one partner really enjoys those deep conversations and the other doesn't, we can kind of see why um, one partner may be really hesitant to time together because their expectation or their fear is that all of that time will be spent in this emotional heavy lifting. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm a therapist, right? Like I work with couples all day and I guarantee 
you that I do not go home every night and have an emotionally deep conversation with my husband. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, and I adore him, you know, and, and it's because that's not realistic. That's not sustainable. It's also why we don't run a marathon every single day. Right. right. And so mm-hmm. I think that being very cognizant of that and then setting these almost these arbitrary um, boundaries around, okay, if we're going to go do something, right, whether it's take a walk at the park or, or go out to dinner or whatever it is, when do we stop talking about um, the kids or the household? Like when do we put, so the drive to the restaurant is, you know, just that stuff. And as soon as we get there, that has to stop. And then when we sit down at the restaurant, by the time we order our entree, then the heavy lifting has to stop. And I need to spend some time just getting to know who you are because we're constantly changing as individuals. So I love that really feeling empowered to say, okay, how do we, and both people knowing that those are the limits. So the one who wants to do that emotional processing knows they need to bring themselves in and the one who tends to not want to do it as much or not feel as comfortable with it they also know that light at the end of the tunnel of when they get to move into more of the fun together and so it's a really important thing for both people to be aware of and to honor those limits when they've been set i love that so much that's such such a good point Oh my goodness. Anna, thank you so much for coming and talking about relationships and entrepreneurship on the show. I know that you have a free uh, seven day challenge for people who are really looking to build more intimacy and connection in their relationships. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it is a challenge that I, you know, created for my clients and then really change, uh, turn it into something that is, is free to everybody. So I encourage listeners to head over to the website. Life Unscripted Counseling is my website. Um, I know you'll have the link and things like that in the mm-hmm. show notes. Um, or you can just, you know, Google Anna Osborne with no E and um, you will find it. And the thing is, too, is that, you know, oftentimes when we are breathing more life into our relationship that we want to do all the things all at once. And just like that doesn't work in our business, it doesn't work mm-hmm. in our relationship. And so, right, there are Indeed. some, couples, yeah, not at all. And so there are some couples who take that challenge, that free challenge, and they, yes, it's seven days, but they do it once a day or once a week over the course of seven weeks. Okay. So there's different ways to build upon it. Upon it, I want people to feel empowered to make it work for them and that there's no wrong way to do it. It's just really a way to have some of the um, guesswork taken out of, okay, if we're going to slow down together, what do we even talk about? What do we yeah. even do? And sometimes having, you know, this external activity that this external um, conversation prompt can really help alleviate some of the the nerves, the anxiety around, oh goodness, are we just going to both kind of sit there tongue-tied? So I want to invite all the listeners to to dive over to the the website and and, and jump in and, and please use it as a benefit to your relationship. I love that so much. I think one of the, the, my favorite pieces of our conversation today was really looking at the parallels of the strengths that we carry as entrepreneurs that we can actually carry over into our marriage. I mean, even just that last point that you made of like trying to do all the things at once. <laughs> yes. I know we all know that feeling of just being so overwhelmed. We're trying to cram too much growth into too short a time. And it's the same thing with our relationships. Like there's this pace, there's this cadence, there's this container that you can build around it just like you do in any other goal in your business. So I love that you bring this expertise that can really help entrepreneurs look at their skill set and how that applies to creating and maintaining, you know, healthy love. So thank you so much for being here with us and friends, please go and check out Anna's website for that seven day challenge.
Hinge, I'm sure, is full of tools to help you build more intentional connection with your partner. And until next time, here is to the courage to show up braver, whole heart, full self, all in. We got this.